And uh, again, I want to talk to you about the tabernacle of the home. You know, the Bible, the, the more I, I read the Bible, and I have read it through several times, and the more that I, I read it, the, the fresh, uh, it, it just becomes all new to me all over again to see the depth of what is going on, and I see how much there is. I would, I'm not going to read it verbatim, but I'm going to uh, take some stuff out. If you have your Bibles, just so you can kind of follow along with me, you're more than welcome to do so. Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. And I want to I want to illustrate what happened in the life of Moses and apply it to the, the families and the family unit that is here today. Uh, it, it Brother Perryman, in his statistics that he mentioned, he did not uh, read them all, but you ought to go find them after church or Facebook him or text him and ask him to share some of those statistics. It's absolutely scary uh, what this world is going through. And, And let me just put it this way. God is the God who orchestrated the home. He orchestrated marriage. He orchestrated the family. And and there is a right way to do things. And if you do it according to the plan that God has, it tends to work better than if we do it according to the plan that we have. Now, God is a gracious God, and sometimes things happen that causes that family unit to not be exactly the same. And I'm so thankful that God didn't just throw the family away If one part of that is missing, there is a grace and a mercy that God extends to families. But I will tell you today that it is absolutely going to be harder to raise a family if you don't have two loving parents that are in a relationship not only with each other, but in a relationship with God. And uh, so uh, it's amazing what you see when you look into the Word of God. Exodus chapter 32 introduces us to Moses and he has been in the in the previous chapters Moses has been in a place that few others will ever get to be he was in the presence of Yahweh Jehovah God Almighty this same presence that spoke to Moses out of a burning bush and said Moses I'm calling you for a purpose I'm calling you to go back to Egypt you're going to walk into the court of Pharaoh and you're going to say thus saith the Lord let my people go that same voice was going to visit Moses on top of a mountain called Mount Sinai up there on that mountain God gave him what we call the Ten Commandments God gave him the tables of stone I don't know that the tables of stone is exactly like we see in some of these monuments. I don't know that it had Roman numeral 1 through 10, and and it is. First off, the Roman numerals hadn't been invented yet. And number two, I think there may have been more on that tablet of stone than just 10 commandments. Because if you read in the Bible, you find that there was a a lot more that God spoke to Moses. Moses was there in the presence of God because the children of Israel had gotten afraid of what was happening. And the children of Israel had backed off of that relationship. And so God said, Moses, then I'm just going to let you come up and you will speak. The key part of that verse is when the Israelites told Moses, listen to what God says and then you tell us what God says. I want to hear from God right now. I want to hear from God when I go to bed at night. I want to hear from God when I read my Bible. I want to hear from God when I'm driving down the road. I want a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Moses comes down off of that mountain around verse uh, 15 or so. He's walking down and man, there had to 
little bit of a spring in his step. There had to have been this understanding that God, if Moses had ever doubted God's veracity or God's power, he could not do so now. He's carrying stones that God's own hand had hewn out. And, and as he carries them down, I can imagine he is thinking we are about to enter into the promised land. God has, has stopped us here around the mountain for a while and we've taken some time, but oh, look at what's about to come. Somewhere halfway down the mountain, he meets up with Joshua, his assistant or his servant. And there he and Joshua descend from the mountain. As they get closer to the camp, Joshua cocks his ear and says, I hear something, it sounds like there's a battle going on. Moses said, well, maybe, but I'm not hearing uh, any victory. I'm not hearing any fighting. Instead, I am hearing a sound of singing. I don't know that that had to have been completely odd, but I'm sure Moses was wondering what is the party. Moses walks down. As they get into the camp, there is all of God's chosen people, the ones that God has called out, the one that God has delivered, and half of them or a whole bunch of them are dancing naked around some golden calf like a bunch of rage, rage, uh, heathens going on. And, and Moses is incensed. He breaks the tablets. He throws them on the ground. He breaks them. He takes the calf that they've made. He burns it with fire. He grinds it to powder, and he scatters it on the water, and he makes all of Israel drink it, and in doing so, and through some other things that happen, a great plague is poured out on them. Moses points his bony finger into the face of Aaron and says, what in the world were you doing? Aaron, you're the one that was able to hold a staff and throw it on the ground and it turned into a snake. Aaron, you saw the blessings of God. How in the world could this happen? And Aaron, by the way, this is nothing new. I did it when I got caught. Adam did it when he got caught. Everybody wants to blame everybody else for what we are supposed to be responsible for. And Aaron says, man, I don't know, Moses. Here I was, second in command. I'm sitting here. You were a long time on that mountain. We were afraid you died. I could have gone up and checked on you, but you know what? I decided, no, you just died up there on the mountain. The people came. They wanted something to show. They, they needed some sort of reassurance, and I told them to give me their gold. And we took all their gold, their earrings, and all of that, and I threw it in the fire, and lo and behold, this golden calf walked out of the fire. That's exactly what he said. Go look it up in the Bible. It just showed up. It's not my fault, Moses. Moses is so aggravated. He is so mad. God begins to speak. And as God begins to speak, look at verse, uh, look at verse 1 of chapter 33 there in, in, in Exodus. And the Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to you, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will get it. I have wrestled. In fact, last night I was sitting on the couch. Brienne was there. We were just kind of hanging out. I had the Bible. I had my, my computer opening. There are so many sermons that are bubbling out of this. There are so many truths. Can I just show you a few things? Early on, you would see this. God said, I brought you out of Egypt. 
But now God is so mad at them, he doesn't want to have anything to do with them. He says, go tell the people you brought out of Egypt. And I will tell you this, sin always separates you from the presence of God. It is something that the more I look through the Bible, the more I find it. People sinned and it separated them. Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden. David had separation in his life when he sinned. And it's here now. I want you to watch very carefully. He says in verse 2, this is, Jesus, this is God speaking, I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, and the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. You can go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you're a stiff-necked people. Uh, there, something jumped out, and I have preached messages on this. If you're not going to go with me, Lord, I'm not going to go, and I think it's so important. But let me just show you, there are three things, there are three elements to, to, to this promise that God had. The first element was the element of God's, uh, 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 let me get back to my notes, was the element of God's promise. All the way back to Abraham, God had promised, I will give Abraham, you and all of your descendants, I will give them a land that flows with milk and honey. Look at your neighbor and say the promise of God. The second element is the protection of God. Because these uh, Israelites had come out of 400 years plus of bondage. They didn't have a lot of weapons. They didn't have training to fight. The only way they were going to go into a place called Canaan and occupy that was somehow the people already living in Canaan were going to have to leave. And I'm guessing they weren't going to leave because you asked them. There was going to be some fighting. There was going to be some battle. There was going to have to be a removal of the old so the new could come in. Somebody preached that for a while. And so God had promised, I will go before you, I will fight for you, I will deliver you, all you have to do is follow me. And so the second part of that was the promise. The third portion of that is the presence. You have the promise, you have the protection, and you have the presence. In this chapter 33 of Exodus, God is still willing to give them the promise and God is still willing to give them the protection, but what he's going to withhold now is the presence. Now, I'm thankful that Moses said the way he did, and I want to be that way. God, if you don't go with me, I'm not going. But I promise you today, there are a lot of people that would have been satisfied with the promise and the protection, and they would have gladly gone to Canaan without the presence. There's a lot of churches, there's a lot of believers, and I use that word very loosely. There's a lot of Christians that run around the world today. They want to claim the promise, and they're even willing to claim the protection, but they have lacked the presence of an almighty God. Listen to me right now. If you don't have his presence, you don't have anything. So what, you got money in the bank? I'm glad for that. Maybe it is a promise, but if you don't have his protection, you are in deficit in a big way. Because if you don't have his protection here, I mean, if you don't have his presence here on earth, how in the world are you going to live with him in heaven in his presence? So Moses, and I'm thankful, this is the mark of a good leader. Moses says, no, 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 I, I don't want just the promise. I don't want just the protection. I want your presence. And so this is what he said. Now, I, this, this is now, I've kind of taken a little bit of time to get started. So let me get to the middle, the crux, the meat of the message. Moses then, verse number 7, 
Moses took the tent. I grabbed my wrong Bible. I got the English standard. I need to see it in the King James. Would you do that, please? Put it up there so that I can read it uh, the way I wanted to read it in, in the, uh, the King James. My, my English standard helped me out, but let's put it in the King James. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 7. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp. That means he took the tabernacle and he went outside the camp and there he erected the tabernacle afar off from the camp, and he called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto, meaning they had to leave the camp and go out there outside the camp, apart, you know, ways apart, and there they would meet with the Lord, which was without the camp. Now, now I'll jump back in my English standard, but I just want you to remember that, the tabernacle. And Moses would enter their tabernacle, the pillar of the cloud. Remember the cloud and the, the pillar of cloud, pillar of fire that came out of Egypt. It's still there. When Moses went to the tabernacle, that pillar of cloud, that it, it moved and it stood at the entrance of the tent. There's this understanding. that, that And I don't know how long it was, days, weeks, not, not really sure. Moses would walk out of the camp and as he did, that pillar of smoke would march with them and it would set itself at the beginning of that tabernacle. People would watch that. You, I mean there was three million plus people. There was a lot of people. It wasn't like you just looked at your next door neighbor. You might be half a mile, a mile away but you could see that pillar of smoke as it would go and they would say ah, Moses our leader is going to hear from the Lord. And they would leave their, their tents and they would stand at their tent and they would let Moses hear from the Lord. In verse 11 thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses turned, or when Moses returned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tabernacle. And, and here it is that God begins to speak to Moses and, and God, Moses intercedes and Moses pleads with God, please don't send us without your presence. And God says, fine, I will go with you. And, and God does, and there's some mighty things that happen. And all of that is great. How many of you have heard of the tabernacle before? We know that. I mean, if you have any Bible knowledge, if you have any, any knowledge at all of what God has done, we're familiar with the tabernacle. There's a great problem right here that I see. Because if you look at Exodus, and Exodus is written in a chronological manner, if you look at Exodus and you go down to Exodus 35, and if you recall last year when we kicked off our Give to Grow, our building fund endeavor, capital campaign, you remember I used Exodus chapter 35 to do that. Because in Exodus chapter 35, Moses went to the people and said, we need to build a tabernacle, and so can you bring anything you have? We need gold, we need silver, we need linen, we need animal skins, we need wood. If you have it, would you bring it? And they brought a great offering. How many of you remember that? And then if you keep going, you look in Exodus chapter 36, and guess what? They built the tabernacle. And then verses and chapters that, that followed that, they dedicated the tabernacle and all that. So how in the world, two chapters before, is Moses taking the tabernacle and going out into the camp? Remember I told you I was using the English Standard Version? See, there's different ways that you can translate the ancient language, and the English Standard does a better way of translating it. It doesn't use the word tabernacle. It uses the word tent. 
because there was no tabernacle as of yet. Moses had not collected. Moses had not commissioned the builders. There had been no construction. There wasn't a tabernacle at the time that Moses pitched that tent and went out of the camp. The reason is this. Moses was so hungry for the presence of the Lord that Moses took his own tent that he had been living in. And he said, for some reason, where I'm living, I'm so sick and tired of this sinful world. I, I, I'm, I mean, I can still smell the burnt gold or the smelted gold of that golden calf. And I long for the presence of God. And so Moses took his own tent. Moses took his own home. And he went outside that sin-filled place. And he erected a tabernacle that started with his own house it was there that Moses said if I'm going to hear from the Lord it has to start in my home we don't hear a lot we don't know anything as far as I can tell other than maybe the names I know nothing about the children of Moses there was no succession plan for that I can't tell you what happened to them I hope and pray they live for God I don't know but I am struck by that uh, 11th verse that says that when Moses would leave that tabernacle, when Moses would leave his tent and come back into the, the, the encampment, because Moses, Moses walked two paths. He was their spiritual leader and he was their governmental leader. And so Moses, when he needed to talk to God, he had to operate in the spiritual and he had to leave the camp because the camp was not in any position for God to speak to them. God said, if I'm going to speak to him, I'm going to wipe him off the face of the planet. But, but Moses was also a governmental leader and that meant going and, and, and you get people that are mad at each other. Somebody stole something and he'd have to operate as that judge or that jury or that uh, 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 governmental leader. And so Moses on occasions would have to leave that home, would have to leave that tent that he consecrated and hallowed to the Lord. And he'd have to come back into the camp and do the work of a governmental leader. The Bible is very clear. It says, and Joshua the son of Nun stayed behind. Now, this in and of itself is amazing because if this tabernacle that Moses erected that started with his own home is of any precursor or predecessor to the tabernacle that was coming, you know that Aaron became the high priest. Even though Aaron had made the golden calf and all that, later on Aaron and his lineage became the, the Levites. They became uh, 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 the, the, the priests and the attendants of that tabernacle. But Moses said, I don't want you in this tabernacle, Aaron. That other tabernacle has some purpose and has some things. But, but in my home, I don't want you, Aaron. Because, Aaron, you participated in the worship of that golden calf. But I find it very, very clear that the word of God states this. That uh, Moses and Joshua were the only ones that weren't dancing around or worshiping or being a part of that golden calf. This is why it's so important for us to not only be fathers of our biological children, 
but to be fathers and to be leaders and to be mentors of those that might not be your flesh and blood because you never know how many uh, Joshua's are following you. And Joshua was able to walk on the coattails of a man that had seen God and heard God and communed with God. And something was birthed in Joshua that when Moses had to leave the tabernacle, Joshua said, Moses, do you mind if I stay behind and worship and give honor to him? It starts in the home. I'm amazed at how many people, whether it's in this church or without this church, I'm amazed at how many people throw all of the responsibility of spiritual leadership onto the church or a Sunday school teacher or a youth pastor or a pastor. And can I tell you today, I'm going to do my very best to lead you. I'm going to do my very best to teach the truth. But it better start in your home long before you sit on this pew. Brother Graham is my pastor. Brother Scott Graham pastors the sanctuary in Hazelwood, Missouri. He and, and, and Brother uh, Dugas there, they have played an intricate part in the life that I lived from the time I was 11 to the time on. And so there are times that I have questions and I'll go, I'll go ask my pastor. My pastor gave me some great advice and I probably will never use this in a counseling session because it's not politically correct. So I'm going to say it in front of this pulpit so that you can understand how it goes. And then if I ever give you a funny look later in a counseling session or when you want to talk to me, not counseling, I can't really counsel you, but I can give you pastoral advice. But you know how many times people don't want to use the counsel of the Word of God or the counsel of a pastor and they go make a bad decision and then it falls apart and then they find themselves saying, Pastor, pray for me. This is what Brother Brother Graham says, he says, if you didn't ask God about that decision when you first started it, if you didn't ask your spiritual leaders and your pastor about that decision before you got into it, you probably ought not come to him when it all falls apart. Now, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to pray for you. But that's how much I believe it starts in the home. God has never intended there to be a dictatorship when it comes to the church. Yes, we need a pastor. Yes, we need preaching. Yes, we need to come to church. But there must be a devotion. There must be something that is birthed in the home. Zane is not going to live for God because I stand behind this pulpit and pound it. My son Zane is going to live for God because hopefully he saw me at home praying. Hopefully he sees me at home reading my Bible Hopefully he sees me at home making a tabernacle. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Most of us have it because we know Deuteronomy chapter 6 and uh, uh, verse 4. But let me read it to you please. Deuteronomy chapter 6. These are the commandments and the statutes and the judgment which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you may do them in the land whither you go and possess it. Chronologically, Deuteronomy was written after Exodus. Deuteronomy was a sermon, so to speak, that Moses met with all of the children of Israel before they went into the promised land. And Moses wanted to remind them how important it was to follow God's commandments. But if you'll allow me, I've underlined it. You can see here, here's my notes. See all the highlighting? That's the things I wanted to remember and see. Look at it. He says that you may fear the Lord thy God to keep all of his statutes and his commandments which I 
command thee. And then Moses put this, so that you, everybody say you, and your son, and your son's son, say generations, and all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. God is a God of generations. That's why he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He never wants it just to be a conversion of one generation. There is an understanding that that conversion of one generation leads to the, uh, the, the seceding generations. Yes, they're converted in a sense, but they're not having to leave some debauched lifestyle to serve God because they were raised in a godly home. That's what God intends. He says, so I want it to be you, your son, and your son's sons. He says, Hear, O Israel, observe, do it, that it's well with thee, that you can increase mightily, that the Lord God of your fathers has promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. And here it is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your minds. And then he goes on to say, and not only are you going to love the Lord your God with all of that, but I want you to teach it diligently unto your children. You need to talk about it when you're sitting in your house. You need to talk about God when you are walking by the way. And we don't walk a lot anywhere, okay? So, so let me give you Buford's modern translation. When you're driving in your car and your kids are in your car, it is a captive audience and it is a perfect time to build a tabernacle that they can grab hold of. And when you lie down at night and when you rise up, Bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they'll be as frontlets between thy eyes. Write them on the posts of thy house. Write them on your gates. And if you do it, it shall be when the Lord your God have brought thee into the land which he sware unto your fathers. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Generations again. And then verse 12. Beware lest you forget the Lord that brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Uh, beware that, that, that you don't go after other gods, the gods of the people round about you. And then later on it says in verse 20, And when your son asks thee in the time of come to come, what, do the, what means these testimonies, these statutes and these judgments which the Lord your God hath commanded you? You'll say to thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondsmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and showed us signs and wonders. Learn to teach your children. Learn to build a tabernacle that starts in your home. Joshua echoed this. At the end of his life. At the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua uh, chapter 24, starting with verse 13, it's, it's almost word for word some of the same things that Moses told them before they entered into the promised land. Joshua, at the end of Joshua's life, they have conquered the promised land. He said this in verse 13, I have given you a land which you did not labor, labor and cities which you built not. And you dwell in them in the vineyards and olive yards that you did not plant. Wherefore, or, or now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him with sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, meaning Jordan, and the gods that they served in Egypt, and you need to serve the Lord. And if it seem evil for you to choose the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether it's the gods that your fathers served from the other side of the flood, meaning the other side of the Jordan River, or whether it's the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell now. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'd like to think this was birthed 
in moments with Moses when Moses built a tabernacle from his own home that he put outside the camp, said, I've got I've to make my tabernacle holy. I don't have a lot more time. I know you've got steaks and you've got stuff you want to go eat, guys, and you want to get and be with your family, but listen to me very carefully. I'm, 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 I'm just, lately this has been going over and over. Can I tell you why we tend to let us coming to church be our only spiritual stuff? It's because chances are when you're sitting on these pews, you're not sinning. Some of you might. I don't know. I'm guessing. Now, I'm on, you like to meddle, Brother Perryman, so I'm going to meddle a little bit. I'm guessing that when you come to church... You're not on Facebook, most of you. It's really interesting when I go home and get on Facebook and I see all your posts that are the same time I was preaching. Just beware your sins will find you out. Can I meddle? Is that okay, Brother Miller? But I'm guessing when you come to church and you sit in the sanctuary, there's a lot of things that you put aside. You don't have the movies. You don't have the work. You don't have the friends. You don't have the addictions. And you can come and you can sit here. And it's easy for you to lift up holy hands when you're in a holy place. The reason too many of us don't build tabernacles in our home is because God doesn't want to dwell where there is something unholy. I'm asking, I'm begging, I'm pleading, I'm speaking to myself. Some of us need to go home and you need to do a little bit of cleaning. Some of you need to walk outside of the camp. There's too many golden calves. There's too many things that are happening. Get outside the camp, erect a tabernacle, and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord Moses had to get away from some influences Moses had to get away from that world that did not have the same desires and wants and hunger that he had and Joshua picked up on that and Joshua said but as for me and my house you know what that tells me Joshua said if the church and it's not but if the church should pass away there's still going to be a tabernacle in my home. If everybody else walks away and the church closes its doors and the sign falls apart and the paint peels and the parking lot scatters and, and weeds grow up, there's going to be a tabernacle in my home. It's not necessarily the right, uh, or, you know, we, we need, the Bible says, as we see the day approaching, we need to come together and commune. I'm not advocating that we leave the church congregation behind. But I'm saying it better start in the home. Because here's the problem. As soon as Joshua said that, Judges opens up. Joshua let the people go. This is Judges chapter 2. He's, he's done talking. Children of Israel went every man into his own inheritance to possess the land. Again, Buford's translation is this. They all gathered together. Joshua was talking to them, preaching to them. That's the church. And every man went home. They went to all of their possessions, their inheritance in the land of Canaan. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and the days that the elders outlived Joshua who had seen the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun died. And they buried him. 
And it says in verse 10, the saddest verse I think I can find in the Bible. And all of that generation were gathered unto their fathers. That's the generation of Joshua. And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the things or the works that he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers. I'll be the first to tell you that you and I stand alone at judgment for our own sin. I believe that with all of my heart. No one is going to hold you accountable for a sin that your dad did. No one's going to hold your children accountable for the sins that you did. But I believe with everything within me, when I stand before the judgment, I will be held accountable for how I taught my children. I will not be able to blame a pastor. I will not be able to blame a youth pastor. I will tell you that that you can have the greatest pastor, you can have the greatest youth pastor, you can still backslide. If you don't believe me, then all I have to do is ask you to look at Judas. If you can walk with Jesus and still backslide, if you were part of the 12 and still backslide, then my preaching isn't near more powerful than Jesus's. But I'm going to stand in judgment. God is going to look at me and he's going to say, Brandon, for your children, got Zane, he's 14. And there's times I want to eat him. Just, oh. I've got Zoe, she's 10. I'm trying to get God to promise me something that he'll come back before she turns 16. So I don't have to deal with that. Y'all can decide what that is. We've got another one on the way. Little baby boy that had come in August. I believe God's going to look at me and he's going to say, Brandon, did you make a tabernacle in your home? And if I can stand there and say, Lord, I did my very best. That's where that verse says that train up a child in the way that he should go. When he is old, he shall not depart from it. Now, I I, I do believe that there are plenty of people who have raised their children right and have raised their children in the fear of God and that child somewhere got out of sorts and made their own decision and backslid and some of you parents, you live with that right now and you say, but I did my best, I believe that but here's where one, one way that that verse works. Your children cannot escape what they learned in the tabernacle of the home. I've talked to too many backsliders to know that at night the prayers that happened in the tabernacle of the home and the devotions that happened in the tabernacle of the home and the teaching they got in the tabernacle of the home, if I could say, haunts them when they are without a relationship with God and it's there and it's brooding and it's moving and it's going on and one day I pray and I believe it happens. One day they'll come back and they'll say, I can't escape it. I was raised in a tabernacle. And I can't live without it. But I also believe that if you'll start a tabernacle in your home, it's a lot less backsliding going on than those who did not and wonder why their kids leave later. I heard a pastor, or, or I did not hear them, I heard about a pastor 
that asked a group of Sunday school kids in their class, they asked the question, they said, they said, why do you love God? And you can imagine, my goodness, I love it when our kids get the mic. They kind of did it from Mother's Day and it was awesome. Sorry, dads, I didn't get that together, so you don't get to hear your kids say stuff about y'all. But you know, they said things, well, I love God because he first loved me. I love God because he died for my sins and all of the myriad of questions. But there was one answer that this pastor loved the best. And this is what the little kid said. I love God. Hmm. Well, you know, pastor, I guess it just runs in the family. There's a lot of truth to that. A pastor by the name of of Daryl Davis had this quote. He says, does loving God and loving his church run in your family too? Oh, I know you can't inherit salvation, but you absolutely need to pass your faith on to succeeding generations through living it and talking about it. And he, he, this is what he said the church is for. It is our job as a healthy church and healthy church members to lead our family to love the Lord and to love the church he died for because spiritually healthy families create a spiritually healthy church. Another pastor by the name of Dexter James said it this way, and and I'm quoting from him. That way he can say what I want to say sometimes. People want to eat steak and potatoes when the preacher gets up, but they feast on cotton candy all the rest of the week. He also said there's no spiritual depth in the family home. He said, long before you moan and complain about losing the right to pray in school and to lose the right to pray in the public square, you better wake up and realize the reason you lost prayer in school and you lost prayer in the public arena is because you first lost prayer in the home. I I, I, I know you get what I'm saying, so I'm going to ask you to stand as I try to complete my thoughts and my comments that the Lord has given me. And let me ask you this, and then we're going to have a time together. I'm going to ask you one more time. I know I may have beat this so much it seems like you're beating a dead horse, but my question is simple. Have you built a tabernacle in your home? Have you removed your home far from a sinful world, far from things of this world that stain us, mess with us. I'm not saying be a hermit. I'm not saying you got to go make some compound out in the boonies. But there is still a thing in this day and age called holiness. The Bible says be ye holy because he is holy. And holiness is not something that you do in a church building. Holiness starts on the inside and holiness starts in the home. And if you'll do that If you'll take your own home and create a tabernacle. I don't know if you caught it, but the Bible, at least the King James called that tabernacle of Moses, called it the tent or the place of congregation. Another another way to translate that is it is the tent of meeting. It was a place where God met with Moses. Interestingly enough, The tabernacle that comes later that we think about with the Ark of the Covenant behind the veil and all that, they call that the tabernacle of testimony. 
it's 11.30 and I don't have time to start preaching again. But listen very carefully. That tabernacle of testimony that, that, that God told them to make and it you know, had the sacrifices and, and, and the, the table of showbread and the Ark of the Covenant and the, the laver and the, the bronze altar and all of that. That was a testimony. And all that did was push and point and tell them, testify. Go read Hebrews. It was testifying that there was going to be something better coming down the road. But the thing that the tabernacle of testimony lacked was there was no personal relationship with God. You cannot exist sitting on a pew with pastor preaching and there's no personal relationship going on that is a tabernacle of testimony and I do testify the goodness of God and I am thankful for what God does but we need a tabernacle a place of meeting a place where I get down and say God here I am speak to me if you're not going to go with me I don't want to go any further do you have a tabernacle in your home have you instilled in your children a love for the presence of God that causes them to linger in His presence like Joshua? For every child that will do more than their dad and mom has ever done for the Lord, there are thousands upon thousands of children that never reach the level of a parent. What am I trying to say? If you want your child to linger in an altar, you need to linger in an altar. If you want your child to get into the presence of God, you can't pack it up as soon as I give the amen and just walk away. You need to bring them to an altar. Let them see your tears roll down your face. Let them see your hunger. Let them see your love. Let them hear your cry. Let them hear it when you were at rock bottom. Say, Jesus, I need thee. And if they hear that from you, I promise they'll learn to do it for themselves. The tabernacle of your home. Oh God. I stand behind this pulpit and I have preached. But Lord, it's one of those moments where my heart is grieved because I have seen the times that I failed to make a tabernacle. I've seen the times that I didn't do what I should have done. I, and so God, I have to preach to myself. I should have put a mirror on the front row today. God, help me. Help me remove myself from some unholy things <laughs> help me put that tabernacle up there's some things I gotta dust off in that tabernacle in my home it's not too late I'm thankful my children love you but God I've gotta let them see more and I'm praying for this family I'm praying for this church we're a blessed people because of the strength of our families but oh there's so much more we can do and so Lord I have preached what you have laid on my heart I have opened the word of God and I have tried to let your voice speak and not mine but now I'm asking I'm commissioning this audience for them to slip out of their pews for them to slip out of their comfort zone Maybe it's walking all the way to the front. Maybe it's just putting themselves closer by one pew. I don't care, but Lord, would you let them begin to come right now? And would you let them do an examination of their own home? I can't do it. I'm not there. I don't want to go in their homes and try to be the detective. Lord, only you can let me know about me. Have I built a tabernacle? 
And as this congregation comes and as our worship team leads us, Lord, would you speak to our individual families right now? Would you speak to some Moseses in the building? Would you speak to some Joshuas? Would you speak to some fathers and mothers and grandparents? Lord, would you speak to us? We've got to build a tabernacle in our home. In Jesus' name.